The Success Factor is hosted by Ernani Young, seasoned business executive, small business owner, and author of The Success Factor, Unconventional Wisdom for Small Business Success. Published by Morgan James Publishing Company and available worldwide through Amazon or online booksellers like Powell's, Barnes & Noble's, IndieBound in the U.S., and Chapters Indigo in Canada. The Success Factor is intended for those of you who want to have a go at owning their own business but aren't really sure how to get started. The Success Factor also addresses some of the most common reasons why businesses don't succeed, most of which boils down to an over-reliance on conventional thinking. For witty antidotes, Ernani will show listeners how to challenge unconventional wisdom while building the framework to navigate through uncertainty and achieve your small business goals successfully. Listeners may also go to our site, www.successfactormedia.com, for today's show notes. Hi, we're back and so glad that you've joined us again. I'm Renani Young, an author and business owner, and welcome to our series of podcasts with a small business owner entitled The Success Factor, Unconventional Wisdom for Small Business Success. Today's podcast is entitled, What Are Your Abilities? You got to have these five. And during the course of our discussion, we'll review the unique set of qualifications and resources you, as a small business owner, bring to the product service offering at your business, which you fundamentally have to have to ensure your small business success. What are your abilities? You gotta have these five. In our previous podcast titled, What Do You Bring to the Party? I walked you through a discussion on assessing the set of qualifications, resources, and assets that you bring to your particular product and service offering. In today's podcast, we're going to start out by doing an exercise where I'll ask you, to write some things down and set them aside for a later conversation on what it is that makes your product or service offering unique. So to start us off, please do for me the following. Make a list of your skills, starting with those things you are best at. At this point, it's important to ignore any voices in your head that might try to convince you that something is irrelevant. If you're good at it, write it down. Consider this for a moment. When Otis Redding recorded Sitting on the Dock of the Bay following the Monterey Pop Festival in 1967, he whistled the outro as a placeholder, intending to replace it with a scat rap, but he later died in a plane crash before he could fix it. That whistle is one of the things people like best about the song today and may be argued is more recognizable than the actual song. So coming back to my earlier request, right now, get out a pen or pencil, or sit down at your computer or laptop and answer for me the following questions. What are you best at? What do other people think you're best at? What have you done, personally or professionally, that people might pay you to do for them? And why would they hire you instead of someone else? Is there anything you've retained from your previous work experience that would help you build your own business? What credentials have you earned that would make others consider you an expert? What else do you own or know that you can use to your advantage in starting a business? Take a moment, review your answers, consider them carefully, set them aside, and we'll come back to them later 
to see if anything else has come to mind that you might like to also add to your final list. Now as it relates to the list of answers you just compiled to my questions, whether you're a startup or if you're already up and running and are just looking for ways to run things better, keep that paper with you. That paper represents the best in you, your greatest natural assets. If you're already making the most of those things in your business, you're on the right track. If you're not, you need to ask yourself why not and figure out a way to leverage those assets. Now after that brief warm-up, let's turn our attention to today's topic, your abilities. Your business model ultimately determines how your company will profit from the products you make or the services you provide. It outlines the mechanics of how you will be paid and how much money your company will make in a given period. It also sets the stage for five items critical to a company's potential for real growth, which I have playfully punned as the abilities. Now, the abilities are not a backwoods family living remotely in the Ozark Mountains, passing their time angling for catfish, hunting rabbits, or making moonshine. They are five ideas that frame your business model so that it is more robust, flexible, and long-standing. The concepts I am referring to are scalability, replicability, sustainability, profitability, and certifiability. In the coming moments, I'll briefly walk you through each one so you understand what the heck is he talking about when I refer to the abilities, and we'll start with scalability. Scalability is the ability to ramp your operation up or down, growing or reducing in size, growing or reducing in scale, number, size, or locations. Ease of scalability is a key dimension, as are cost and time relating to scaling the operation to respond to growth, new customers, and demand from your current geographic location or any other. Scalability is often overlooked by the small business owner for the simple reason that he or she is so overwhelmed with just getting their business up and running and keeping afloat that the concerns surrounding the notion of scalability may seem a bit distant or even a luxury to think about when compared to the day-in, day-out needs and pressures of running a small business. However, don't be fooled. I discuss it as the first ability because it constitutes the foundation on which you build your small business. All of the basic functioning of your business pass through the notion of scalability. Here, I'm referring to the processes, policies, and procedures, and all the other nuts and bolts that make up the workings of your operation. So now you ask more specifically, what am I referring to? Well, to make this a little bit more interesting, I'm going to ask a series of questions that will illustrate how important scalability is as the first component of your abilities assessment. Here we go. Question number one. You just got that big order you and your sales team have been working on for months. Congratulations. Now, do you have sufficient raw materials on hand to deliver it? Is your current labor force sufficient to not only produce this new order, but deal with the ones you already have on hand? If you don't have sufficient labor, 
do you have a solid and dependable process for identifying, interviewing, vetting, and quickly hiring additional staff that you'll need to handle this and the following orders? Question number two. Your business is growing by leaps and bounds. Orders are up 150% and coming in at double the frequency you've accustomed to. Can your invoicing and billing systems keep up? Are they designed to easily scale to meet these types of increases in demands? Question number three. You just landed a new account in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and your operations are headquartered in Dallas, Texas. You need to put people on the ground immediately. Is your operation scaled sufficiently to have the financial capital to staff and fund the added payroll, including taxes, of your new team before you get paid your first invoice from your new account? In addition to these examples, some other basic questions you may ask related to scalability include, does it take months and cost a fortune to scale your operation, or is scaling fast and easy? There are countless scenarios that I'm sure we can think of depending on the type of business you're in, but the important questions to ask are, have you considered the impact scalability has on your business? And if needed, could you effectively and adequately scale your business at a moment's notice if you had to? Scalability is the, okay, now what do we do, of running a small business and really needs to be contemplated up front so to avoid getting blindsided by your very own success and growth, something you've worked too hard for to let happen. And that's why you need to spend some serious time thinking about and preparing for the advent of scalability. Moving on to our second ability, replicability. Replicability refers to the ease with which you can replicate or copy your business model. Can you set it up exactly as it is? in its original mode in various situations, localities, and circumstances, and still run it efficiently? Or is your model so unique that it only functions under certain specific limited conditions without which it doesn't operate effectively? That is the basic crux of replicability, and this is the premise franchises are built on. So you can see the enormous importance replicability plays in the success or failure of a new or small business. After all, where would we be without McDonald's, Taco Bell, Chipotle, UPS stores, Great Clips, and so many, many more franchises that today are part of our everyday life and we can't do without. Here you can see that scalability and replicability are closely related. You scale your operation to provide the basic framework to be functional and operational, and then, if you choose, replicate that basic framework in a new region, in a new channel, or with a new partner. By replicating, you are essentially multiplying your basic business model's revenue generating capability and in this manner, driving growth. And growth translates to success, and that's what this podcast is all about, right? Moving on to number three, sustainability. The third ability has become a catchword for businesses and examples of sustainability are everywhere from coffee growers in Kenya, silkworm farmers in Brazil, to salmon fishermen in the seas off Alaska. For our purposes, however, sustainability is not the Joan Baez environmentalist variety, but rather a measure of whether your business model can stand the test of time and still pump out money, which guarantees its continued success. One of the toughest issues to evaluate with regard to the kind of sustainability we're talking about 
is the predictability of your business assumptions. In our constantly changing world, new consumer habits are created from one day to the next. Technologies emerge and become obsolete almost overnight. So how can you be assured when building your business model that is truly sustainable? Whenever possible, I try to lock in specific profit margins by product line or service by matching sales contract terms with supply chain pricing characteristics. For example, if the cost of raw materials is fairly stable over, say, a 12-month period, then I would write a one-year sales contract. For example, a 40% gross margin will be sustainable on a cup-making operation over a 12-month period due to price stability on the feedstock that's used to make the cup. Longer-term sales contracts might include a clause for inflation, or a benchmarking adjustment, or tied to the cost of goods sold. Similarly, a service provider might write a contract based on a fixed hourly labor cost and constant headcount for the duration of projects lasting less than a year and add a cost of living adjustment for longer assignments. These time-bound assumptions, which form the structural beams of a sustainable business, are typically expressed in a business plan, which builds on the foundation of your business model and adds specificity. Generally speaking, a business model defines the way you do business. A business plan defines business goals and objectives. The details of designing a business plan are really not the focus of my podcast. Suffice it to say, there are entire books devoted to the subject as well as free and low-cost resources for entrepreneurs online, and if you're interested, I'd suggest that you research this topic further. So returning to our discussion on sustainability, I'm reminded of the insurance commercial which says, life comes at you fast. Your business model must be agile enough to adapt to changing market conditions. In my cup example, I used a planning horizon of one year. Your actual experience will vary according to your product development cycle and supply chain. It's a good idea to periodically test your business model against your business plan to see if your model will allow you to meet your objectives or whether additional changes are in order. Fourth ability, profitability. As part of the business plan I hope you did and you should have done, you most certainly have a simple profit and loss or P&L worksheet to reflect what you believe will be your business's income and expenses. If you're already in operation, you already know what these are, but I'll share with you a few things that you may not have taken into consideration and may want to do so now. The focus of our conversation now and the fourth ability, profitability, is intrinsically tied to a measure called your gross margin, which by definition is a percentage and essentially is your revenue less your costs for delivering a given product or service, whether it's a hamburger or Android phone app, it doesn't really matter, and then that number divided by your revenue. This percentage is called your gross margin percentage and your small business eventual profitability starts here. It's very much like the adage starting off on the right foot with the foot being your gross margin percentage. If it's not large enough it's very likely your operation will not attain the profitability levels it needs to be successful and sustainable. So coming back to profitability and its link to your gross margin percentage, the magic number we like to see is a gross margin of at least 40%. Why 40%? Well, it's because it's this number which has shown to be, over time and again, in small businesses, 
the minimum number that is necessary to cover your basic business expenses and leave something at the end, that something being net profit, or alternatively called EBITDA, which is formally defined as earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. The latter terms being accounting tricks which can add or subtract to your net income number, and for this reason, EBITDA is a common measure of the overall profitability, there's that word again, of your business or operation. So by having a gross margin percentage of at least 40%, you can generally expect to have enough meat on the bone to cover the items which eat away at your profitability. And here's what I mean. Item number one, going from gross sales to net sales. Here we're talking allowances, discounts, rebates, and sales processing fees. This will take your gross to net sales down anywhere from a low of say 2% to not uncommon 7 or 8%. Let me give you an example. PayPal. Everybody knows PayPal. We all use it. For processing invoices, PayPal charges around 2.75%. So on a $10,000 invoice, you get nicked 275 bucks. And like football, which is a game of inches, business is a game of percentages and every 1% adds up. Another example for you. When providing goods or services to large companies, it's routine to get the 2% net 30 days sales terms, meaning they give you a 2% haircut when they pay your invoice in 30 days. A similar situation is above with PayPal, but the bottom line is you haven't even left the starting gate and you're already losing some money from your overall gross sales level. Second example, cost of goods sales or CGS. Now you've subtracted from your revenue the cost of providing your product or services to your customer and you are hopefully at that magic minimum number of 40%, which is now no longer 40% because you've been nicked by discounts and allowances as described previously. Third item, fixed expenses. Here we're talking all your monthly fixed costs, which do not fluctuate with or are tied to sales levels or services you provide. This includes and is not limited to office rent, warehousing costs, lease payments, equipment payments, insurance, professional service provider retainers, software license fees, etc., etc., etc. The next group of expenses on your P&L whittling away at your gross margin are variable expenses and are sometimes lumped together and called selling general and administrative expenses or SGNA as they are more commonly known. And these are all the expenses to support your sales and marketing teams and general office activities and they include travel, entertainment, cell phones, oh that's a big one and always a surprise. I'm always amazed at how much people can talk. The variable nature of these expenses frequently creates some unpleasant surprises for you as a small business owner, so it's good to keep an eye on them. And lastly, salaries and payroll. I put this last because as the owner and as you ramp up the sales of your newly minted small business, you won't likely be in the position to be paying large and generous salaries for all your employees, that includes yourself, the owner, but will likely be paying what the market bears for those and others and may be less in some essential positions that may be secured by other forms of incentives, which could include ownership, bonuses, special distributions, or stock. 
So very quickly, we've sliced our chunky, meaty 40% gross margin percentage down to something in the very low single digits. Hopefully, right? And not negative. You got it? Great. So the key, once again, is starting out on the right foot and pricing your product service offering to leave you at least a 40% gross margin. This way, guaranteeing some money left over after paying out all the expenses I just described and thus producing for your small business the fourth of our abilities, profitability. We'll later invite a guest speaker colleague of mine who is a profitability coach, but for our purposes today, this is it on our fourth ability. And now we'll move on to the fifth and last ability we'll be discussing on today's podcast, certifiability. Now this is a word that I made up to go with the concept of the abilities, but it's extremely relevant. It refers to the visibility and benefits available to small businesses and their owners as a result of obtaining any one of a myriad of certifications offered by various small business development associations and enterprises. These are for women-owned businesses, minority-owned businesses, and veteran-owned businesses. The point I want to make is that being in business is not a popularity contest. If you're going to do it, do it to win. Do it to be successful, do it to make money, do it to achieve personal and professional satisfaction, and to take advantage of every differential you can, which includes taking advantage of the wonderful and varied benefits made available to small businesses owned by women, minorities, and veterans. Obtaining a certification for your small business, or what I refer to as making it certifiability, will provide you the visibility, hey, that's, another, that's almost another ability, so you can be seen and position your business to take advantage of opportunities in three basic areas. Number one, compete and bid on government projects. This includes federal, state, county, municipal, and local government projects. Things like airports, construction sites, schools, and the military. The list is long and varied, but I think you get the message. Number two, fill minority supplier quotas at corporations. Today, these exist within large corporations and multinationals. This is big and getting bigger all the time. Many, many corporations have departments just for this, to develop women, minority, and veteran-owned businesses. And the smart business owners are taking advantage of this wherever they can to get into big companies, secure big contracts, and in general guarantee that they'll get paid. Big companies are notoriously good payers, albeit slow payers. And lastly, number three, have greater access to capital through programs designed and developed for small businesses, women-owned, minority-owned, or veteran-owned. As the owner of a financial services company specialized in factoring myself, there is no doubt as to my conviction that cash is the lifeblood of every enterprise, and having greater access to capital is fundamental to everyone's operation, no matter what business you are in. The issue of certifications for small businesses is a subject all by itself, and there are many, many resources out there to help you. I'll name a few, but suffice it to say, we will come back to this important and interesting topic later, likely with a guest interview. Here are just a few sources you may wish to check out. Number one, the Small Business Association, or SBA, for minority business information. You can find your information here at www.sba.gov. Number two, 
the MWBE Enterprises, which is designed to assist women-owned businesses and minority-owned businesses obtain the respective certifications. Here you can get information from them at www.mwbe-enterprises.com. And lastly, the Center for Veterans Enterprise can help you with registering with the VetBiz Registry, as well as the step-by-step -step guidelines on applying for certification with the Veterans Administration Organization. Get started at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs site, which is www.vetbiz.gov. So again, these are lengthy processes with some degree of complexity but I did want to point them out to you and also point you in the direction for you to do some more research as you try to get yourself the vaunted fifth ability, certifiability. So in closing, when choosing the business model or models for your small business or startup, ask yourself the important question. In what ways does your business withstand the abilities test? That's all for today. I'm Renani Young, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Success Factor Podcast. Thank you. Please visit our website at www.successfactormedia.com. Please follow Ernani on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. He is always happy to chat and answer questions there. And be sure to share this podcast with your friends. I hope you enjoyed the content of The Success Factor, and I hope that you'll visit our site to subscribe to our weekly podcasts. I sincerely thank you for joining us today and I hope you enjoyed the content. We know what busy lives all our listeners lead and I want you to know that I really appreciate you taking the time to listen in with us today on the Success Factor podcast.